Stockholm Community Church, it is so great to be in church with you today. If you have not let us know in the chat that you are here, will you please do so? For those of you who are listening to the podcast, we are so excited that you are part of our church and part of our church family. We are continuing our Kingdom Culture series, and I'm so excited of the focus that we have this morning. It's Kingdom Culture is really love in action. Around our house, the Dunn household, we're, we're raising three teenage girls. And there's a phrase that has been with us for many, many years, probably since the kids were able to start walking and talking. And uh, it's words followed by action. And one of the things that we have so instilled into our girls, it's you can say something and you can say sorry, but then we need to see that your actions change after you have said it. And so really it is, it's words followed by action. I am convinced that actually words speak, or that actions speak louder than words. Someone can say something, but then they don't follow through in their actions. But when they follow through with what they have said that they're gonna do, I think you can agree with me that you go, yes, now I know I can trust them. Now I know that they are true to their word. As Christians, we are called to love God and to love others. Those are the two things that Jesus says in the New Testament. He actually commands us to love God and to love others. Now, we can be the one people who talk about loving God and talking about loving others, and we can put up great quotes on our social media, and we can share text messages with friends. But one of the things is we can talk about wanting to make an impact. But until we actually put some energy and we put some action to our words, they're just words. We can talk the big game, but we really want to be in the game and play the game. I had a friend who shared a story with me about something that happened in a grocery store last week. A friend was standing, getting ready in the queue to stand to check out and keeping a good social distance. And, and all of a sudden, an elderly man cuts in line, cuts in front of him and puts up his few items there and friend just keeps standing there watching the elderly man and the elderly man gets ready to pay and out of his back pocket, he doesn't pull out his wallet but actually pulls out a notebook instead. The elderly man thought that he had his wallet with him but actually it was just a notepad he had in his back pocket. So my friend shares the story how they went up and they paid actually for the man's milk and for his cookies and wished him to have a good day. And friend went back to his cart, pulled it forward, unloaded his items. And, and the cashier kind of looked at him and said, why did you do what you did? That elderly man, he, he cut in front of you and then you paid for his groceries. Why would you do that? And my friend just simply responded back and said, one day, if my dad happens to forget his wallet, I hope that someone pays for his milk and for his cookies. And isn't that love in action? We can look at someone else and either we see someone that we love in them, or we say, that's how I want someone to treat the people that I love. So kingdom culture is all about living out the love that Jesus has given us that we now get to share with others. 
Love in action has ripple effects. Sometimes the ripples are big, sometimes the ripples are small, but there always is an effect that comes when we live out love in action. Jesus says in John chapter 13, a new command I give you, love one another as I loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So Jesus says, people are gonna watch you. They're gonna see what you do and what you do will be a testimony of who I am in your life. Jesus, he loved differently. Today, some people may say that maybe Jesus wasn't that great of a communicator. Maybe he could have had a bigger impact, but Jesus, he did not do a lot of things big scale, but he actually did it small scale. Yes, he had the Sermon on the Mount and he fed the 5,000. But then we have moments where we get to watch Jesus, where he actually spent time with people who needed to hear that God loved them, despite what society may have thought of them. So he sat down with the sinners. He sat down with the outcast. He sat down with the poor and he sat down with the sick. Jesus spent time with these people because he loved them. We see particularly one story where Jesus meets the woman at the well. This woman went to the well in the middle of the day. Well, traditionally, you don't go to the well to fetch water in the middle of the day, the hottest time of the day. No, you go in the early morning or you go in the late evening. But here Jesus was sitting at the well and this woman comes to fetch water. So that tells you something about her. She's not walking with the other women. She's not part of the in crowd. And Jesus starts sharing with her actually what's going on in her life about her various husbands and the man she lives with now who she's actually not even married to. And as he's sitting there at the well talking to her, she she doesn't run away and she's not offended. So even picturing how Jesus is talking to her as he's kind of listing all of the things in her life that just quite aren't right. And then Jesus says this to her, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And in that moment, the woman at the well realizes she's sitting and talking to the Messiah. And as she talks to the Messiah, she says, I need to tell the others in my village. So she goes back to her village and brings people back with her to the well where they get to meet Jesus and they get to encounter him. Jesus sat with the woman who was ashamed and who was hiding, but all of a sudden because of her encounter with Jesus, she became now his spokesperson and now led others to meet him. Then we have the encounter that Jesus has with the woman who was caught in adultery. And as the story tells us in the Bible, this woman is dragged out 
and in a sense thrown before Jesus' feet. And there her accusers stand before her and they look at Jesus saying, what are we gonna do about her? She's committed adultery and that means in a sense that she could be stoned to death because of that sin. Jesus starts writing something in the sand and says to the crowd, he without sin throw the first stone. And one by one, the people begin to leave. And all of a sudden, no one else is there but Jesus and the woman who was caught in adultery. And this is what Jesus says to her. Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And then Jesus said, neither do I go and sin no more. And so he looks at this woman and says, I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more. And so she left. And that encounter, he wasn't condemning, but he was loving her. Another encounter that Jesus has is with Zacchaeus. And we read about that in Luke chapter 19. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. And let's just say in those times, tax collectors, okay, let's just be honest, tax collectors in general are probably not our most favorite people, right? We don't really like paying taxes, but we do because we should. But Zacchaeus, as a tax collector, he was known for taking a little bit extra. And he was working with the Romans who were oppressing the Jewish people. So let's just not say that Zacchaeus would never win a popularity contest. But Jesus was coming into the city and crowds had gathered and Zacchaeus, well, he was a little short. So he wanted to see Jesus. So what did he do? Well, he climbed the tree so he could see. And as Jesus was walking, he saw Zacchaeus. And this is what he says to him. Quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. I mean, I kind of love it how Jesus invites himself over. Like, I must be a guest in your home. Well, what did this do? People started talking. Jesus wants to be a guest in a tax collector's home, at a sinner's home. And Jesus didn't care because he saw Zacchaeus. He saw the longing in Zacchaeus. And this was Zacchaeus' response. I will give half my wealth to the poor. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Then we have another encounter that Jesus has, and that is with Thomas, his disciple. So Thomas had walked with Jesus for many years, and well, not many, but three years, had walked with Jesus, had seen him perform the miracles, had seen Jesus be crucified on that cross, died and put in the tomb. And all the disciples, they had gathered in the upper room, except Thomas. They were all there, except Thomas. And Jesus revealed himself to the disciples, saying, I am alive. Well, Thomas comes, doesn't get to see Jesus, but doesn't believe 
the other disciples. And this is what Thomas says. I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound of his side. Well, eight days later, Jesus reveals himself again to the disciples and to Thomas. And this is what Jesus says. Then Jesus said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Isn't that such a beautiful picture? Jesus knew what Thomas needed. He loved Thomas so much that he said, yes, touch my wounds on my hands. Touch the wound on my side and know that it is me so that you no longer have to be faithless, but that you can believe. And so we serve a God who cares about the details in our life. Isn't that awesome? He cares about the things that are important to us. And what we see through these four encounters, and there are many more in the Bible, but through these four, we see that people who encountered, experienced, and accepted Jesus's love, their lives were transformed. They were never the same again. When we love like Jesus, the people we love, they will turn to Jesus. Now we live in a culture that tends to say this, that if you love someone, you have to approve of everything that they do. And I'm going to say that's not actually biblical. I love my daughters fiercely. I love them so much. But guess what? I don't approve of everything that they say, everything that they do, everything that they watch. And I'm continually, continually aligning and realigning them so that they will live a life that is based on the word of God. And so we are called to love everyone. We need to love the people that we disagree with. But I do not have to compromise my faith or my convictions in order to love someone. Jesus didn't. He said to the woman caught in adultery, go and sin no more. The response from Zacchaeus was, I need to give back and give extra back to the people that I've cheated from. So when we live out kingdom culture, love in action, people around us, their lives are changed because they have a real encounter with Jesus. Matthew 5, verses 43 through 45, Jesus says this, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be the sons of your Father who is in heaven. So, who do you struggle with who's in your life? Who rubs you the wrong way? Who do you disagree with? Who has hurt you? And we can probably quote parts of 1 Corinthians chapter 3 where it explains what love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. Love does not brag and it is not arrogant. 
It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. Does not take into account a wrong suffered. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. I mean, just trying to live out that 1 Corinthians 13 verse. It's just even hard with the first two. <laughs> Love is patient. Love is kind. But it is so clear that that love, which is the same kind of love that God loves us with, is the one that will overcome everything. Love in action is more about who you are in Christ than the person that you are loving. You see, I can only live out 1 Corinthians 13 if I have accepted the love that Christ has for me. If I've embraced that love and allowed that love to transform me. When I realize it's not just about me, but it's who Christ is in me. And when I realize it's not loving out of my own strength or loving out of my own ability, but out of his ability, then I can love patiently and I can love in kindness and I can love those who hurt me and those who have offended me, those I don't get along with. Now, there may be people who you feel like they don't deserve your love, but that doesn't mean you can't be loving towards them. Now, I can make a lot of disclaimers here and qualifying statements about if someone is abusive and if someone has hurt you, to not put yourself in that situation. And so not saying that loving someone doesn't mean you put yourself in harm's way, but even someone who has greatly hurt you, you can still be loving towards them, but from a distance, how you talk about them, what you talk and who you talk to about them. Will you speak into who they are in Christ or could become in Christ? Or will you just focus on their shortcomings? You see, when we just focus on people's shortcomings, then guess what? We only see the woman at the well before her transformation. We only see the woman caught in adultery before Jesus says, I don't condemn you. We only see Zacchaeus, the tax collector and his failings, not the man who paid back four times what he had stolen. Or we just refer to Thomas as the doubter versus a man who became so firm in his faith that it cannot be shaken ever again. You see, love lets us look at people from a kingdom perspective, not an earthly perspective. There's a story in the Old Testament that you may have heard, and it's about a man named Joseph. Well, when we're first introduced to Joseph, he's, he's a young man and he's the youngest in his family and he's the favorite of his fathers. So there's already some, you know, some good competition between the siblings there, but Joseph was young and maybe a little bit arrogant and his dad gave him this beautiful coat, multiple colors. And, you know, Joseph was probably flaunting that coat a little bit 
the way youngest children tend to, you know, flaunt things that they get when they feel like their parents are treating them uh, a little bit more favorable than the other siblings. Well, Joseph had a dream and he had a dream about his brothers and his father bowing down before him. And Joseph shares his dream and is excited about his dream, but his brothers get offended and his brothers get hurt. And so in their jealousy, what do they do? They take the coat, they beat their brother up, throw him in an empty well. And when a caravan passes by, they actually sell him as a slave. They take the coat back to their father and they say a wild animal killed him. Pretty bad story. Talk about some family issues there. Well, Joseph finds himself a slave in Potiphar's home. And by being just who Joseph is, a hard worker, a young man who had faith in God, he works his way up and becomes, in a sense, the one who runs the whole estate. He has gets falsely accused of trying to assault the wife, Potiphar's wife. He gets thrown into jail again. He interprets some dreams. And through a series of events, Joseph finds himself second in command next to Pharaoh. So here he is, gone from this being a loved son, thrown into a pit, thrown into a well, sold into slavery, wrongly accused, thrown into jail, but now again finds himself in a place of favor. Well, famine, famine came to the land, and all of a sudden Joseph's brothers found themselves coming before Joseph, not realizing that it was Joseph. And Joseph recognizes his brothers, and he gave them food, but he also wanted to see his other brothers, and he wanted to see his dad. And so he finally got them to come back again. It's a really interesting story. So you should head to Genesis 45 to, to read this whole story. But one of the things that Joseph said to his brothers, he said, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed. And listen to this. This is what Joseph says to his brothers. And do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Okay, you've been sold into slavery <laughs> by your own brothers. And this is what Joseph says to his brothers. Do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because this was part of God's story. This is a man who says, no matter what has happened to me, my faith has always been that God will walk with me no matter where I am. And his love will carry me through whatever I face. The story keeps going on and the brothers are still a little scared around Joseph. And so Joseph says this in Genesis 50, he says, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done and the saving of many 
lives. Joseph could forgive his brothers, console his brothers and said, yeah, you did intend evil, but what you intended for evil, God took it and made something beautiful out of it. And now people's lives are being saved. Loving others comes from a life that has been transformed by the love of God. We cannot love like Jesus if we haven't allowed Jesus to love us and to love every part of us, the good parts, the not so good parts, and maybe even the parts in our life that we might be a little bit ashamed of. You see, he loves us just the way we are but he refuses to leave us that way. He refuses to leave us broken. He refuses to leave us bitter. He refuses to leave us um, shattered. He says, I love you just the way that you are, but through my love, it's gonna transform you. Read an amazing story this past week about a 21-year-old young man with Down syndrome. He was the first man with Down syndrome who ever had competed in the Ironman triathlon. So an Ironman triathlon means that you do a lot of swimming, you do a lot of biking, and you do a lot of running. And so Chris is his name. He didn't really walk until he was four years old. He had problems eating, and when doctors and specialists would talk about Chris, they would more talk about his limitations than what he could maybe accomplish in his life. But Chris's parents, they weren't ready to give up on Chris, but really believed that he could live a full life. And so they got Chris into sports after he had learned how to walk, and all of a sudden they started to see a transformation happen in Chris. He became more alert and more attentive and, and even healthier the more he was involved in the different sports. And it came to a spot where Chris said, I want to do the Ironman triathlon. A volunteer coach was assigned to him and they did many early mornings and late nights training just to get Chris's body ready so that he could participate in the triathlon. So the day came of the triathlon, and, and if you go and look at the, the videos and, and the images, you will see that at one point during the running, there's a harness between the guide and, and between Chris, and he's, he's you know leading Chris that way of where he should run and, and the pace he should keep. The guide stays with him every step of the way. Well, it came to a spot where Chris had done the swimming and now he was on the bike and they had to stop at one point because Chris, he couldn't find the balance between drinking water and biking at the same time. And he had stopped for his water and didn't realize he had stopped. There was a whole pile of red ants and they started biting his leg. And so it caused him a lot of discomfort. And then he got up on the bike again and, and then a few miles down the road, he actually fell and scraped his knee. His coach looked at him and said, we got this, we're gonna do this. So Chris got back up on the bike again, and then it was time for the running piece. And at this point, Chris had been going for over 14 hours. Okay, can you imagine, 14 hours. His legs were cramping up, he had no energy left. His sister said his face looked like he was dead, and Chris was ready to give up. 
and his dad comes up to him and he clutches his son and he pulls his son closer and he whispers in his son's ear, are you gonna let your pain win or are you gonna let your dream win? And Chris's response to his dad was, I'm gonna let my dream win. And as we talk about kingdom culture this morning and love in action, I feel like God is leaning over the balconies of heaven and he's looking at me and he's looking at you and he's saying, are you going to let your pain win or will you love like me? Jesus may be also saying, are you going to let your discouragements win or are you going to trust the plan that I have for you? Are you going to let busyness win or are you going to step out and love those around you? And I hope just as Chris said, I'm going to let my dreams win. My pain doesn't get to define me that we would say, Jesus, you win in my life. You win. You win when it comes to my priorities. You win when it comes to how I love others, how I forgive others. And as you and I continue to live out this kingdom culture, not only will our lives be transformed, but the lives around us.